everyone, and welcome back to the Angel City Zen Center's Beginners Only Podcast. And today, this is a great talk. I know I always say that, and I always mean it, but this one made me really happy. My favorite things when a Zen talk can be practical and personal and about the weird, I don't know what, of just trying to get by, but also still able to live up to the mystical weirdness of all that great Zen writing out there and help figure out how staring at walls actually relates to our lives while possibly making them a little more confusing at the same time. To me, that's an honest Zen talk. And that's what Sarah's going to do. She's going to read us some category and talk about emptiness and talk about work. Whether or not she knows what she's doing, I think it sounds like she does. And I can't tell if she agrees, which again, I trust. And if you would like to help us be able to keep doing what we're doing, whether or not we fully know what that is, you can go over to aczc.org donate and make a one-time donation or become a recurring member at whatever level you can afford. We are 100% donor supported and keeping this place and these podcasts going is always a bit of a dicey endeavor. But... We've been here for six years somehow, thanks entirely to you all, so thank you so much for everything and to everyone out there supporting us, however you do. And if you cannot afford to donate, please do not. Thanks for being here and listening. But okay, here you go. On with the show. Here is Sarah Campbell with Freefall. All right, well, welcome. Thanks for coming out today, braving the rain or not braving the rain if you are on Zoom. My name is Sarah. I am a resident here at the Angel City Zen Center. And I'm not a Zen teacher, so this is very much just, I would call myself more of an enthusiast. I like the way that Leon put it in his talk recently where he said, I'm just some dude. That's kind of me talking about Zen and interpreting some stuff that I'm reading and how it applies to my practice. So I will caveat all of that with that. This is just my reflections and maybe it'll spark some reflections that we can talk about from you. So today I'm going to read a little bit from a book called The Light That Shines Through Infinity. It's by Dainan Katagiri. He is a big figure in 20th century American Zen. He was a teacher that came from Japan and settled in Minneapolis. He opened the Minneapolis Zen Center and has a lot of Dharma errors in that area. So if you've been to Minneapolis, it's a lot of Zen practitioners there, and that is mostly due to his influence. But he's an interesting writer. He's very... How would I describe his teaching, his writing? It's very, like, lively, I would say. It's fun to read. It gets pretty mystical and weird at times, which I like about it. But I picked this chapter because I had a funny interaction with a friend the other day. So my profession is I do a bunch of different things. I do, like, a lot of writing and content development for brands. Sometimes that includes people that sell stuff online, e-commerce brands and whatever. And one of – I work with a design partner where I'm kind of the verbal half and she's kind of the – design half and we work together on different pieces of business but she had this wild idea that we should just start our own e-commerce store using drop shipping recently so now i'm going down this whole rabbit hole of doing that which is kind of funny because it's very much one of these like get rich on the internet by drop shipping which i know is not actually a thing but we have done it for other people so Anyway, I've been reaching out to my network to be like, okay, well, what do I know and do not know about this way of selling stuff? And I put out just a call to people on Twitter and a couple other groups that I'm in and just have been having these conversations, which are really interesting because it's about, it's less hearing like what the online influencers say and what more hearing like people that, um, that have actually done stuff say. So that I think is always worthwhile. But my friend Pat, who offered to help me on Twitter, I was supposed to call him the other day. I didn't call him and he wrote me this text message or he wrote me this message to say, you got everything figured out. (laughs) And I said, Pat, I just want to assure you that at no point ever at any time have I ever had everything figured out. But if you still have some time, I'd like to take you up on it. 
And he said, that's a Zen thing, right? Eventually figuring out that we don't have anything figured out and being okay with that is the only figuring out that we can actually do. So I thought that was funny because I was like, is that it? I don't know. I think so. Notice I'll cut off the point where I responded. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that was a good jumping off point to this piece from Category about the wisdom of emptiness. It's kind of a long chapter, but I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read some sections and say some things that maybe will be interesting. Okay. It says, before your individual thoughts, feelings, or perceptions arise and you reflect on yourself, wondering who or what you are, something is already there. Something is already alive. What is it? We call it big self, real self, or true self, but actually it is the vastness of existence. In Buddhist philosophy, we say emptiness. When you hear the word emptiness, it seems to be something fascinating, kind of a puzzle. But emptiness is not a puzzle. It is something true. Something is happening here. When you see your reflection, it is coming from emptiness, but immediately it is going, returning to emptiness. And the next moment, a new reflection comes. Your reflection is impermanent. It is always coming and going. The only thing that stays is the vastness of existence. The vastness is your true self. When you see your reflection, if you believe that reflection is your true self, this is a misunderstanding. But it doesn't mean you can ignore the reflection. A reflection must be there. There is nothing for you to see. Without my reflection, I cannot see that I exist. I cannot understand who I am. True self and its reflection are not the same, but they are not separate. Your reflection is not the real truth, but without that reflection, you cannot see the truth. So he's already doing this very Zen thing that you'll notice or that you might have noticed in talks and stuff was just like one thing is true. That doesn't mean the other thing isn't true. And they're both true, but they're both kind of also not true. So, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of like dancing back and forth between those two truths. I like this paragraph because that seems to very fully encapsulate that here. It's interesting that we use the term emptiness because it has such a weird connotation, I think, in American English, maybe all English. I don't know, but it seems bad, right? And so we come to it like, we're like, oh God, emptiness, like the void, that's terrifying. I've heard it translated and talked about before as boundlessness, which I don't know why that always seems to me better, but people still use emptiness. Maybe Dave can say something about that before. But yes, it's all true. It's also all not true. Okay, let's go on. If you search for true self outwardly with your ordinary dualistic human consciousness, you will never find it. But on the other hand, True self doesn't float around like some kind of spirit or ghost. It is life itself, real life. Real life is more than life in the biological sense. It is the impulse that makes something come into existence right in the middle of emptiness. Without that impulse, nothing to be created. Proceeding alone through yourself means through this body right now, right here. Why through this body? Your individual human life is just you, so you have to proceed alone. There is no other choice. It is very hard to be with aloneness, but there is no other way. No one can really help you. No matter what happens, you have to walk by yourself. This is not egoistic. It's just that there is no one who can substitute for you. When it comes time for you to die, who could substitute for you? No matter what you say or do, scream, laugh, or cry, you must proceed alone. So I think that's really beautiful. Like the whole, if you search for true self outwardly with your ordinary dualistic human consciousness, you will never find it. It's like we want ourselves to be something special and we want it to be very different from everyone else, right? And that's kind of like, that's very pointed in our culture. It's important for a lot of different reasons. And it's not something that we can really do without is having that like 
I'm doing these things and it, I have to be legible to other people that know that I'm doing these things. Sort of like in the way that I'm like, I do a bunch of things for work, but right now I'm going to try this one thing and that the only way I can get help from other people who have done it before is to say I'm doing it, right? So there's a little bit of definition that's happening. But ultimately you're alone and no one can do it for you. So it's like people need to help you, but really ultimately it's you and that being a, a truth that we come up against again and again. It's lonely. It's scary, right? It's like, oh God, this is all me, even though I want to help. So I'm going to, I read that a little bit as a preface to the kind of meat of this talk, I think, which is where he talks about the three aspects of the wisdom of emptiness, right? So if you skip down to page three, kind of towards the bottom, as Buddhism always emphasizes experiencing the energy of life itself directly through your skin, muscle, and bone. That is called wisdom. Is the wisdom of emptiness emphasized so much in the Prajnaparamita Sutra? There are three aspects to the wisdom of emptiness. Emptiness of the conditioned, emptiness of the unconditioned, and ultimate emptiness. The first one is emptiness of the conditioned. It is the realization that the human world has no substance on its own. The human world is the world of phenomena, what you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think. That world is produced by many causes and conditions existing from moment to moment and constantly changing. There is nothing that you can pin down as an independent entity because life is impermanent. If you feel pensive or sad from the impermanence of life, you are looking at life as a kind of object that you want to hold on to. The feelings and thoughts you experience as a human being are important, but they arise from emptiness, the dynamic functioning of your life. So experience emptiness first. Then you can think and create ideas based on wisdom. Usually we do the opposite. Then we get dragged around by our thoughts and feelings based on ignorance. Don't get dragged around. All you have to do is just be alive. You are the aliveness of life. When you see your life exactly as it is, there is no way to feel sad because you see that your life is constantly emerging. So just take care of your life. No matter what happens in your life, just deal with it and let it go. Move forward. This is practicing wisdom of the emptiness of the conditioned. I'm very confused by this portion because there's something for me, it's in, and this is like, I'm, I'm kind of a classic overthinker where I, I think, you know, I always have ideas in my mind of what I want to do and I'm pretty action oriented. I'm not, I'm not very much like thinking about the past as much as I am like thinking about what I'm going to do in the future. And so I'm always like making plans or like, you know, thinking about a trip I want to take or a project I want to work on or whatever. And so that is an example of when my I get dragged around by my thoughts and feelings, right? Because I've had these ideas to do things and then I start getting really caught up in them. And, and where I, what I struggle with is like the, the part where like, okay, now you have to start doing them, right? Like that's a little bit harder for me. I think I do a pretty good job of that, but and there's a little bit of a chicken or egg thing in this, right? Where it's like, what comes from the emptiness and what comes from... I don't know, like he's basically saying experience the emptiness first, which I guess is like just be still and kind of pay attention to what's going on in your life through zazen or whatever your meditative practice is just noticing. And then you decide to do things. And I don't know, I'm never really sure whether I am doing that or if just like I get triggered by something I saw on, you know, somebody, something somebody said to me or something I saw on the internet or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I should do that too. Like, for example, this dropshipping experiment, it was because my partner came to me and was like, we should do this. And I was like, okay. Anyway, not sure I have that one nailed. All right, let's go on. Next is the emptiness of the unconditioned. 
If you practice zazen, sooner or later you will taste something of the truth, which is called the unconditioned. That is wonderful, but if you attach to your experiences, they give birth to self-centered thoughts. For example, during zazen, you may think, oh, my thoughts have stopped now. It is very easy for us to attach to the unconditioned world because it is mysterious. We are always curious about mysteries. But grasping for it turns the unconditioned into the conditioned, so it becomes delusion. Whatever you see during zazen, even spiritual ecstasy or enlightenment, is just emptiness. But if you say emptiness, you have already created a concept, an element of the conditioned world. Whatever you say, wisdom, truth, or big self, if you try to grasp it as an idea, it becomes a mist. If you try to hold on to your experience of the unconditioned, you can become crazed by enlightenment. So you have to let it go. Let it be. That is practicing wisdom of the unconditioned. So he doesn't say this directly in this text, but I think he's talking about like stages you go through, right? Or like first you're conditioned and then you're unconditioned because you realize it's all emptiness. But then the danger there, I guess, is that if you start to be like, I've really figured out this emptiness thing and attached to that, that's a, a recipe for disaster. So it's just like realizing you realize something and then letting it go, I think is what he's talking about with this, the wisdom of the unconditioned. I don't know. I think I might've been there at one point or another. And then finally, there is the wisdom of ultimate emptiness. It is wisdom that lets you see the deep core of your life and simultaneously it guides you in your practice. It's very hard to let wisdom guide your activity, very hard. But this practice is the way you experience ultimate emptiness. In ultimate emptiness, there are no ideas, no concept, not even of emptiness. Before anything you can think of as an experience arises in your consciousness, you just go on your way directly experiencing what is real. This is practicing the wisdom of ultimate emptiness. So what I was thinking about just as reading this, I mean, this stage, I guess, or this wisdom is just like, if you can really be in it, right? And you're not like torturing yourself over overthinking, you're just kind of like moving through the process you're doing, you're not worried about what you have or have not learned. You're not really thinking about emptiness, you're just kind of existing and being and moving through it, which I think is beautiful. And I feel like hard for me because um, I think so much about thinking. There's been an idea in my practice that I've been coming up against a lot lately, which is like, do we have to rewrite all this stuff now that we're spending so much time in virtual spaces or whatever? Like we're, we're spending time on, you know, in internet communities or in gaming things or, you know, our phones as opposed to real life like what is real real but i think what he's talking about here is just moving through whatever it is you're doing whether that's in person or if you do stuff you know if you have an email job like i do so i'm gonna go on and read to you a little bit about how it shows up this so this is the kind of gets to the part in, in the chapter and in the writing where he gets into like how he sees this show up in his own practice which i always think is interesting so i'm now i'm on page five kind of midway down he says, it's hard to be patient with your ignorance, so you need lots of practice. The important thing is not to be in a hurry. If you don't understand something, be humble, be modest. Just walk calmly, step by step. Most people don't live that way. Usually they want to rush. But when you rush, you become irritated and angry. You're mad at yourself, other people, and the whole world. That is arrogance, and you should be careful to avoid it, especially when you don't know something. Giving talks is very interesting for me. It is one of the ways I hope to avoid ignorance by poking into every nook and cranny, just like a cat. But sometimes I have felt that teaching Buddhism in the United States is like planting pumpkin seeds and pebbles and expecting them to grow. 
Human beings are, are arrogant and self-centered in all aspects of life, personal, business, even in religion. It seems useless to teach that we shouldn't be arrogant because no matter how long you talk, most people don't realize how arrogant they are. But if teachers stop talking, you know what will happen. That is why for century after century, Buddhas and ancestors have been talking. So regardless of whether or not anyone understands my talks or changes their life, regardless of whether or not I like giving talks or my English is poor, I have to stand up straight, face the situation, and just continue to talk. That is to practice patience. Yeah, so the, the part in here that I think resonated a lot with me is just like how much we're in a rush to do things, right? Like I'm in a rush to set up this dropshipping store and make $100,000 on the internet. You know, like that is something true for me. I want to get after it. I want to do it. Ultimately, in the in this process, like I just have to do it and I find out what I find out. You know, maybe I'll not make any money. Maybe I'll lose any money that I've sunk into it. But I have to be patient and I just have to like do step by step by step. I do think it's kind of hilarious that he's talking about being arrogant people and then he's talking about how he's basically here to change the world that kind of gave me a little chuckle <laughs> category he's walking the walk but i also like how it says it seems useless to teach that we shouldn't be arrogant because no matter how long you talk most people won't realize how arrogant you are but if teachers stop talking you know what will happen i mean you know every day every moment your human experience is different so very naturally, there are many opportunities to practice patience. Someday, right in the middle of your messy human life, in spite of your ignorance, you will touch something deep, the core of human life. You don't know what it is intellectually, but you realize the peaceful patience found deep in the life of the whole universe. At that time, you experience the vastness of your existence and your life really blooms. When I look at myself, sometimes I feel good and sometimes not so good because everything in human life is up and down. There is no way to escape this up and down life. So I think the real practice of patience is to do small things every day with great hope, putting a seed in the desert, regardless of whether or not it will grow. That's all I can do. Then I take care of my up and down life. Yes. Yeah, so that resonates a lot for me, um, just because I am so up and down. I mean, I kind of always have been, but the awareness of the up and downness and, and changing my expectation of myself to not be up and down has been so huge but it's humbling right and it's like you you kind of you know we're just so conditioned to think like oh well you know that it's up and down and that just has continued to be true for you know years and years so why are you not okay when it's up and down like it's just amazing how i don't know in my experience just working with this practice for a while now it kind of just i don't know like it doesn't get less up and down and that goes back to my friend's text messages right just figuring out that we don't everything figured out it's like yeah, I think that's kind of it. But it takes reminders, right? And it takes practice to remind yourself like it's okay. This is just how it is. But I also really love this line in here. The real practice of patience is to do small things every day with great hope, putting a seed in the desert regardless of whether or not it will grow. That is 100% what I'm doing with dropshipping. <laughs> the internet though is even vaster than the desert and less likely to grow a rose. So we'll see what I can do with it. But it's a choice I've made. All right, moving on. When you really get in touch with nothing to depend on and become one with emptiness, a different and new life comes up. It is a life that you have never expected. You are right on the flow of life energy, just going on a nice walk, not expecting anything at all. If you see a tree, the energy of your life and the energy of the tree's life are moving together along in peace and harmony. Then you can take care of the tree as it really is because the tree is exactly the same as your life. This way of taking care of life is called true practice. 
True practice is the pure sense of human action. It is activity that is undefiled by the delusion of separation. Every day, all you have to do is stand up in emptiness, open your heart, and accept the lively energy of your life. Then you are ready to act based on wisdom. You don't understand what emptiness is exactly, but your life is already there, so stand up straight and start to walk. Even if you are scared, go ahead. Just go ahead. Proceed with stability and let wisdom guide the way. Just go on with your life. Yeah, I mean... I think what he's, you know, he's doing the whole thing of just saying, like, just do it. Just go. You don't, don't worry about too much about it. He's even like, you don't even know what emptiness is. Just keep going. <laughs> you know, just keep walking the path. Be in the choices that you've made, right? If you decide to do a ridiculous internet get-rich-quick scheme, then just walk the path and move <laughs> on and on and see what you find out. And maybe it, you know, maybe it lands you somewhere. But all you can do once you've you've made that choice is just keep doing it and keep finding out what you find out and being present for it. And, and that is true practice. I think he's saying it's true practice is the pure sense of human action. It is activity that is undefiled by the delusion of separation. So it's almost like for me, it's like if I just decide, if I've decided to do this, which I basically have, the best thing I can do is just actually do it and not keep like bludgeoning myself about whether I should do it or how it should be done or whatever. It's like, you know, once you make that decision, once something arises that you decide, it's like, just do it. You know, the delusion of separation is like, well, how are they doing it? And how should I do it? And what would make someone else do it this way? It's like the less I can do that and the more I can just do the actions and learn from that and do them as well as I can. That's what I can learn. That's what I can take away from this. So I think that's my talk. Curious to hear from you all. Oh, first, I, I think I might do a talk on emptiness soon if I have time before I go. Because, yeah, it's it's such a weird thing. Everyone seems to have a very clear opinion on what it's not, and everyone describes it differently. And oftentimes, in terms of what each other says, it's definitely Buddhism says it's definitely not this. The next person will kind of like say the exact opposite. But I like the unconditioned one a lot. That's nice. I my personal pet theory is that mostly all refers back to what happens in meditation. That is where Buddha, Buddha said two things. He said, no self for one. Then he said interdependence. But well, people really want to say it's not nothing. So they say instead it's just everything is interdependent. And therefore you can't say it's any one thing. So we call it empty. But the words the Buddha used and the characters that the Chinese used were very much the characters for nothing. Mm -hmm. And again, I always want to give Buddha the credit on his poetry. Like I think he was trying to be provocative. People want to write that and be like, we're not saying it's nothingness, but it's like he chose the word for nothingness. And I, I, I want to give him that credit. So I, I personally think it's all like, if you sit long enough, it's a very good descriptor for what you're sitting in. But anyway, I'll do a whole talk on that eventually. I'm glad you pointed out the uh, obvious irony of Katagiri talking about, first, very unself-awarely talking about the arrogance, and then saying, no one ever noticed how arrogant they are, coming from, <laughs> like I found in my last talk, a very flawed human talking very eruditely about the way things are and what's what. It's just a, a lovely meta example of what he's talking about, which is, so when you give a talk like this, you're very clear on what you think you don't know, right? Even your, um, your text message at the top, <laughs> what you say, I never know what I was doing, and then when challenged on that, is that a Zen thing? You're like, I don't know. I mean, again, you're still just like living the whole thing through. Do you want to feel like you know what you're talking about? People talk about imposter syndrome uh, and things like that. Yeah. Do you feel confident in your... Yeah. 
I do because I also, <laughs> I do, I, I feel, I, this is an interesting question because I feel very confident, but I feel very confident that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm just making, this is all based on my experience and like what I have learned or encountered. And I'm very straightforward about that. So it's always like, take it or leave it guys. I think that I ha I confuse people because I have a very confident affect and like I kind of always have. And it's like I'm a student and I'm, you know, I'm a Virgo. And so it's like, yes, I have learned. I have ways that I think things should be done and things that I've learned. And sometimes I will straight out say, like, I don't think you should do this or I think this is the wrong choice. But I'm finding as I get older that I'm more like it's always couched, right? It's like, well, if I were you, here's what I've learned. So take it or leave it. But I don't know. I have a real problem with like establishing or like asserting authority. I can only couch it in what I say. I do not have confidence that, I don't know, even with like really data filled stuff, like I'm like, it could be that or maybe not. Are you looking for expertise in others? Like, is that a yeah. personal value or um, do you think that's yeah. a workable model? <laughs> well, it has to be. I've thought a lot about this too. It has to be a workable model, right? Because this world requires expertise to do things like build buildings and, you know, establish governments or you know whatever but it's like ultimately there's a point at which like that experience stops being relevant because it's not what's happening at this very minute right and so I don't know what to say like I find it again because I live or my career is like a weird internet career so I think about this a lot but like the way that a lot of people make money on the internet is they establish themselves as an expert and then they flog that and they use it to get jobs or contracts or you know, whatever it is. And you have to do that, right? Like you wouldn't hire someone to build a house that didn't know how to build a house. But there's always like some level of, um, I don't know, and I've never encountered this experience. And so then eventually you have to trust that that person at least will have a bunch of like background wisdom for it. But I don't know how it plays out in my life because I, I think that like, I don't really have any credentials in anything. <laughs> Done a lot of things. I think it's something that we all want to point to because we want to feel safe. And this is terrifying otherwise, emptiness. <laughs> but ultimately, it's just like some people know some stuff. Some stuff's hard won. That's kind of how I think about it. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes you have people that could come and do it even though they haven't had the experience just because they're, you know, they're operating on good instincts or you know a solid like clear understanding of what's happening so thank you for your talk so i'm really interested in this idea of how much time we should be spending in the emptiness versus mm -hmm. you know we have to go about our lives and, and plan and and think about things mm -hmm. which seems like the opposite of being in the emptiness mm -hmm. so do you do you think about that dichotomy there i think what this talk is trying to imply is that you're always in the emptiness. It's whether you realize it or not, right? So it's like being in the emptiness, uh, there's a good line in here. Before anything you can think of it as an experience it arises in your consciousness, you just go on your way directly experiencing what is real. This is practicing the wisdom of ultimate emptiness. So I think in some ways it's just like the Zazen practice helps you just to get comfortable with the not knowing and just being here right now. This is how I experience it. And then but ultimately, it's like you walk down the street and you encounter whatever you encounter and you navigate that however you navigate that. And that can be your practice, right? It's just trying to be and deal with whatever is happening right now versus like whatever you've got going on up here that might cloud you from seeing the other things. I like emptiness, the fact that it's very vague because then it becomes almost like a metaphor that you can kind of use for a lot of things. And 
sometimes like right now reading this book called about visual thinking and this book draws this like contrast between visual thinking that's more associative with verbal thinking that's more linear and like they have this even this little questionnaire about are you a visual or verbal thinker and one of the ideas is like do you somehow know something without knowing how or why mm. and i'm kind of wondering like you know you're a writer so obviously more verbal I assume more linear. Do you find that when you are experiencing emptiness that you're more of a visual thinker, that mm. um, things are coming to you in a more associated way? I definitely am more verbal thinker, but I'm also like very intuitive. So I definitely identify or that resonates with me, that whole like, you don't know how you know things. And what I think practice has helped me with is that I used to if I would just have this strong feeling, then I would be like, oh my God, like where did that even come from? And like backtrack it and be like, why does this make sense? And lists of pros and cons and all this like, you know, like prying into it because I didn't trust, right? Like I didn't trust what that was or what that thought was. And it does sound pretty like it, it you know, if you're coming from a very rational, linear kind of thinking point of view, like intuition sounds totally shady, right? Like you're like, what? But I don't, I just don't fight that as much anymore. And so where practice helps me is I'm just trying to be in it. And so it's like if I really want to do something, unless it's like something rash and impulsive, because that's different, right? Like if it's like, oh, I want to go, you know, drink whiskey or whatever at two o'clock on a Tuesday, like, no, not a good idea. But if it's something bigger, I kind of trust that there's something going on that I should pay attention to. And I just try not to fight it anymore. I don't think that was your question at all, but... Do you feel that it's an older way of thinking for you? Because this book, mm. the author is a visual thinker, so mm. he or she makes the argument that, I guess data shows that children are start mm. as visual thinkers mm -hmm. and then almost learn a second language of this mm. more like linear verbal thinking. Yeah, I took, a, I took this really interesting workshop on intuition, like developing your intuition a couple years ago that really brought a lot up for me. And it was on that exact thing where basically the teacher was like, you know, something will happen and like things will come to mind, like maybe a color will spring to mind or a song comes in your head or whatever, or like a, an image. We do this a lot as kids, but we get slowly like trained out of that because everything needs to make sense and everything needs to be like super rational. So I, I definitely think that there's something to that where it's like, it becomes about like this, the point of this teacher with the intuition was she was like, stop challenging it, let it come in and see what it like ends up with, you know, look at that. You don't have to push it away because it doesn't like make sense in your linear, you know, in your rational mind. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. The, the book is really fantastic. And the sections you pointed to were, they spoke a lot to me personally. I just wanted to say that I know one of the characters or the character that's translated in Chinese as emptiness is also often translated as sky, right? Because it's like that field in which all those phenomena appear, but it isn't any one of them. And it has no form or color of its own. But it's it's even still not the sky, because that's a concept, as Kadigiri points out. We're still conceptualizing it. It's just that's as close as we can get to, you know, with our rational human thinking. The sky or the the space inside of a pot that makes the pot is as close as we can get to to the true nature of reality. But um that made me think of skydiving, kind of like describing the experience that, you know, we're talking about, which made me think of this quote I love by Jay Garfield, and he says Living as a bodhisattva is to live in free fall. It's to live with no ground and no foundation. And that can be scary until you recognize that nobody's ever been hurt by falling. You only get hurt when you hit the ground. If there's no ground, there's nothing to worry about. 
But getting used to the idea that there's no ground is very, very difficult. And so my question for you is like, as a freelancer, you know, or as somebody who's like done the weird internet writing career for a long time, I, I guess it is a bit like falling with no ground, I guess. And I mean, do you feel like managed to like calm that sense of falling with no ground or is do you still get the terror of like oh god what if this doesn't work out you know 100 percent. yeah no no, no I definitely all the time not as much anymore just because i now have been doing it so long that there's like a level of trust that i have that like things will be okay the other thing that i will say that has helped in this regard if we're talking about no ground is that look around at most people that have like real jobs and they are losing the jobs. The jobs suck. The jobs are a nightmare. The jobs, you know, the jobs are extracting everything possible for them. I don't think that's necessarily true. And there are obviously people, a lot of people with like a lot of really great jobs. But to me, as I look around, you know, getting more senior and, you know, just having been at this for quite a while, I'm like, I don't, do they really have it any better? I, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know that I would make that choice because it's almost because we're trained in the groundlessness, we're better when we lose the big client. Like I, what I've seen recently just with people that lose their job and they're, you know, in their 40s or 50s or whatever, like, and they haven't gone through this before, like, they're starting totally from scratch, which is equally terrifying. So it's like, at least we are constantly having the rug ripped out <laughs> and <laughs> having to learn how to deal with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's like, it goes back to my friend Pat's. So he's like, so you got it figured out? I'm like, no, 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 no. But I'm somewhat more aware that I don't and I will have to continue to figure it out. And that actually I think is, is better. And in the long run, the better. That's the path I've chosen. That's all. That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening to that and chatting with me. The Angel City Zen Center is 100% donor supported. So that is kind of a miracle. Thank you all for donating. If you can afford to donate, we suggest 10 to $15 per sit. The best way to support us is to become a recurring member, which you can do online at our website. There is a basket here. There is a Venmo code here. If you cannot afford to donate, please do not. We have a system and it works because those who can, can cover those who can't. So do what's right for you. This all just about works. So let's keep it going so we can do more weird stuff like this. Announcements, do we have anything?